I'm Janet Forrest, and this is Behind the Shelves. In March of 2020, the Athenaeum, like everyone else, was forced to suddenly close its doors to the public. Our team quickly regrouped, and in April, the library pivoted to curbside service. Cardholders could request their materials online or over the phone and pick them up in the main foyer. When people arrived to collect their items, they discovered they were wrapped. Everyone was delighted. We had a patron send us a video of their son in the back seat of the car after getting his books and opening them up. And, oh, look, it's this book. And, oh, look, it's this book. Even grown-ups felt like they were getting a present. When it came up on February, I had some Valentine's Day stickers, some heart sparkly stickers. So I thought, you know, if I'm starting to get a little stir-crazy with the brown paper wrap, that maybe people would enjoy getting some stickers on their books and people really were liking the stickers. So I started to get some more different kinds, you know, little fairies and mermaids and ladybugs and rainbows and whatnot. We're so glad you enjoyed the gift wrap materials, but there seems to be a big misunderstanding that we would like to clear up. Ann Scott, executive director of the library, has been explaining in earnest that there is a very important reason for wrapping the books that many patrons don't seem to understand or appreciate. When the Athenaeum was softly opening our doors again, I was standing outside and just letting people know that they, they could go past the vestibule, they could actually go inside the library. Several people said to me, oh, this is great, you don't have to um, you know, wrap the books. And I realized that they thought we were wrapping the books for for hygiene. I was like, oh no, like we, you know, we wrap the books because we're protecting your privacy and that's connected to freedom to read. And they would just look at me blankly and be like, all right, you know, <laughs> just go on inside. Maybe privacy isn't something you think a lot about when you visit the public library, but I can assure you. It's something our staff thinks about on a daily basis. We're just so used to giving away our information these days. Like we don't really even think about what, what that means or how, how it affects us specifically or society as a whole. You know, that's just something that we cling to as professionals in the field. It's really important for protecting the privacy of folks and what they're reading. You know, it it impacts what they choose, what they feel that they're free to choose. The same thing with with their record. We don't keep track of what people have checked out, you know, going on some big box online store where you can track what you've read and get recommendations based on that. We don't have that capacity. We have the capacity to advise for you, but we don't keep track of your reading history. And I don't know if if many people realize that, too, like how little information we collect. This is Liz Kelly, 
head of circulation. Libraries in general are very, very, very serious about um, your personal privacy, what you check out, what you browse for. And we want people to know that they can check out books without feeling either judged by the staff or the public. Laura Pless Friedman at the main circulation desk says there's materials that cover all kinds of difficult, intimate subjects. I think grief is is a big one. Grief of a par- parent losing a parent or grief of losing a child. So those are very tough topics. And I think we have some great books to help you realize it's it's a journey and other people are going through what you're going through. And, and if you check out that book, you might know that hope is coming down, you know, in the different stages. So I think that is definitely a a tough topic. We have a great selection of parenting books and those go out quite a bit. And, you know, I've never read a parenting book, you know, front to cover, but, you know, you kind of use the index and you go to things that you're curious about and things, um, things that you need help with when the kids were younger, even sleeping. So, so that kind of stuff. And then we also have stuff on, how to set up wills and, and, and that kind of thing, how to, you know, how to get divorced. I mean, we, we truly do have a great selection of books to help people with, you know, with any stage of life that they're going through. It's crucial that patrons feel safe checking them out. What you're reading shouldn't be anybody's business but your own. Pam McGrady is in charge of acquisitions at the Athenaeum and also works at the main circulation desk. One time, When I was working an evening shift, a young mom came in and she had a a newborn with her and she didn't know anybody on the island and she was feeling a little blue. And um, I talked to her for a while. And fortunately for us and for her, we had a woman who had just started a postpartum group. And I was able to refer her to this woman who had started the group and, um, I didn't know what had become of her after that point until three years ago, I saw her at the desk. It was really fantastic to see her. And I said, wow, you know, how are you? How are things going? And she said, great. And she introduced me to her daughter. And I said, how's your boy? And by this time he was 14 and he was huge. And it was really nice to see a connection after all that time and that she had utilized a service that we had and it was just a an off chance situation where she had a need and we were able to meet that need. The different challenges and problems people come into the library with have informed Pam on what materials are needed in the collection and the best way to make them available. That made me start thinking about other ways to maybe reach out to people who maybe wouldn't come and talk to me or anyone else at the desk for that matter about something that was personal like that. I set up a, um, a what I call a tough topics area in a windowsill and things that had to do with say having trouble getting pregnant or miscarrying or suicide, people that have depression, anxiety, and so forth. And it would be a revolving sort of a display there so that people could go over there and browse that section out of, out of the way pretty much because it's in the back. We noticed that it was browsed. You see people sitting back there reading and books just being you know laid down as opposed to being put back 
on the book stands and stuff. So um, even if the books aren't checked out, if you know people are sitting back there and, and, and looking at them, then you know that someone is getting something out of the materials. And that's what they're there for. So that's great. And I know that privacy is important to me. And I've, I've had people ask, will anybody else see what I've taken out on my card? And you know, the answer is no. You can do that yourself at home. You can keep track of your own books. But our library system does not track you in any kind of way. Not everyone entering the library is checking out materials. They may require the assistance of our reference staff to find articles or journals. Head of Reference Lincoln Thurber and Reference Library Associate Jim Borzileri do everything possible to ensure these services are offered confidentially. This is Lincoln. Especially for reference, I think the the issue of privacy is, is of a great concern for us because, of course, people are coming in to ask about reference questions, even if the reference question is just directing them to what sort of reference books we might have on a particular subject. And we, you know, we have to be careful because in some cases, these questions are about medicine, uh, about, their, about their own treatment. We, I think we have to be very cognizant that when people are asking us some reference questions, that, you know, it's extremely private. You know, it falls within our pur- purview to, to help them, but also try to keep their dignity so that if they're asking about cancer treatments or if they're asking about certain illnesses or things like that, that they know that will help them professionally find the answers that they need or, you know, help them get the articles. It's legal matters, family matters, uh, health matters, those um come across our desk and are part of the the things that we help people with. Of course, those are extremely private. And that doesn't even get into like the books they might request or things like that. So, you know, for the reference department, we're, we're almost always dealing with something that's at least a little bit private. Jim says discretion is at the forefront of his mind. It's really understanding the absolute imperative to protect the privacy of the patron, even if they don't think it's private. You know, we have an obligation to say, whatever you're interested in, whenever you want to come in, it's not our job to, you know, we're not going to be blabbing it to anybody. We're not going to say anything. So when I meet with you, when I say type in your password, I'm going to look the other way. And it's amazing how surprised people get sometimes. It's like, oh, that's all right. And it's like, no, it's not all right. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. I should not know. I'm not going to start making exceptions, however trivial it might be with you, because for the next person, there could be some more weight attached to it. Most of my my career pre-library was in the financial services business, which over the decades became increasingly concerned with protecting privacy and how do we protect the privacy and, and sort of discovering a lot of practices that were routine decades earlier were probably not a good idea. We've changed as a society that way, but I think libraries have always been ahead of that. The sense I have even before I joined is that this has been, we've been way ahead of that curve in terms of, you know, the freedom to look for whatever information you want and the freedom to guard your privacy. But to actually see it in action has been, you know, sort of, I wouldn't call it a revelation because again, in financial services, it was something we were we were dealing with. But it's the same, you know, I, I get the sense here with libraries that they've, they're definitely ahead of the curve. We try and eliminate the breadcrumbs, yeah. You know, and again, that's, you know, that's First Amendment. That's, you know, I think that's what separates America from a lot of other places, you know, where you can be anonymous. 
So, you know, I think we're just sort of, you know, we're just we're just doing what uh, what the Constitution sort of implies we should be doing, you know, which is a good thing, I think. Whether you visit Laura, Pam and Liz at the front desk or Lincoln and Jim in the Great Hall, the staff is careful to make sure visitors and patrons don't feel judged for the questions they're asking or the information they're seeking. Here's Jim again. You know, someone comes in and it's a question you've heard a hundred times and you just have to sort of mentally remind yourself. And this is like, stand, this is almost like retail 101. You've heard it a hundred times, but for that person, this is new and they've never experienced it before and you have no idea what's at stake. It is unacceptable for the staff to discuss amongst themselves what patrons are checking out or researching. I don't think that most people realize, maybe they do, that when they do bring something up to their front desk, that the folks that are checking those materials out to you understand that there are sensitive topics and that this is not a place where we judge or when somebody leaves, we turn to our colleague and say, did you see what they checked out? <laughs> like that doesn't, that doesn't happen in the public library world. There would be zero tolerance for that. And Liz explains that it's just not what library staff would be inclined to do anyway. It's not who they are. If there's something you're looking for, we'll get it for you. We're not going to question it. We're not going to ask anything about why you want something because that's why we have it. That's why we have books on mental illness and, and other health problems and things that are pretty sensitive and pretty intimate because we want people to know that those are available. We're not looking to judge anybody for what they come in asking for. Some people have very complex, sophisticated questions, and other people have very simple things that to the average person may seem like common knowledge. But, you know, we're never, you know, judging you if you come in. It, those questions are just as important as the bigger ones. And I think that's why libraries are so important. And I think that's the best service that we offer is really just being open to whatever someone needs. We will <laughs> try to figure it out, but not place any, you know, stress on them in terms of like, if you don't know something, we're going to show you how to do it. And we're going to try to break it down and keep it simple. And yeah, and especially for for technology, I think that's really the most difficult thing. People are very afraid to come in and say, I don't know how to do this because they think the rest of the world does and they feel kind of bad about it. But that's what we love doing. I mean, that's the biggest part is knowing someone left with more knowledge than they came in with is really, really satisfying. Even when it comes down to simple reading preferences, if you're happy, we're happy. All the materials in our collection are there because we think they will have value to someone. They are there to be read. Laura loves making recommendations for people, but she would never criticize people for what they're checking out. I would hope that I would never make anyone feel like I was judging, you know, what they were reading. I I will read anything. I mean, when I'm on vacation, I'll stop by the grocery store and just pick up every pamphlet they have. I would hope that I wouldn't be judgmental, but on the flip side of that, we have fantastic um, digital services. You know, you can use Libby and you can use Hoopla, maybe the way to go for people who are worried, oh, someone someone might know that I like romance novels, um, but I like romance novels too. So there really isn't much reading that I don't like. As Laura said, you don't even need to come into the library if you're worried about privacy. Almost anything you can access by coming in can be accessed at home. This is Lincoln from Reference again. You know, we have a, a policy where, you know, whatever they request, they can get, and we can then email the articles to them. We, know, we need not even print the materials. They can just request and we can email it to them at the privacy of their home, own home so that they don't have to uh, come in and pick it up or pick up a printout from the 
one of the desks uh, where someone else might see it. It's not just adults who have the right to privacy at public libraries. The American Library Association is a huge advocate for making books and information available to teens and children. The Athenaeum recognizes this need and has designated an entire section of the Great Hall to teens and young adults. Ellen Young is a teen librarian and is protective of the young adult section. I shouldn't say this, but one of my favorite things to do is kicking adults out of there because they all feel like, well, first of all, all there's signs all over, you know, teens only, please don't sit here unless you're a teen or whatever. And, and I'll ask them to leave and they'll say, oh, every one of them says, oh, you mean I don't look like a teenager? I say, no, sorry, you definitely not a teenager. I'm very protective of that area for teens and I I want to keep adults out of there. It's the only spot that's that's specifically designated for teens. There, there's no place for them in the children's section. There's no place for them in an adult section. This is their spot. She has also taken steps to ensure teens have some space from her. After all, she's an adult. I try to stay out of sight. When I first took over the job, the desk was right in the young adult area, like I was the school marm looking down on everyone, and I, I couldn't stand it. I, I didn't, I couldn't do my work while, while other people were trying to avoid me. I felt like I was in the way, so I lobbied to get the desk out of that little area, so I'm off to the side. If I see somebody heading in there, I can take my time and go in and ask them if they need help and then get out of their way because, frankly, most teens, they might need your help, but they don't want it. I do try to keep the sensitive issues front and center on the shelf right by where they're sitting so that they may just glance up and see it and not have to ask somebody about it. They're right there. They're very accessible that they're not hidden away, oh, you have to ask the librarian for those books. There's no censorship. We, I try to have a good selection of nonfiction books about topics that they may be curious about, most notably sex and puberty, LGBTQ issues that they may not know who to talk to about. Those are pretty prominently placed. And I can tell that they are looked at because they're always put back in the wrong place. So I, they don't get checked out very much, but it, they're always misshelled. So I know that kids are finding them and reading them. Leslie Malcolm, head of the children's department, explains that this practice is not unique to the Athenaeum. It's all written down in black and white for all American public libraries to follow. Well, it's important to know that there is a library bill of rights and it's up on the ALA website. And that's really a foundational document for everybody who works in a library to read, because then you understand kind of where librarians are coming from with that. But equity of access and privacy, those things are huge. There are books up there, nonfiction books on all sorts of forms of abuse, on drug abuse, on physical abuse, on divorce, on, really, on sexuality. We want to make sure that teens and children, but teens especially, have the freedom to feel safe pursuing those, you know, researching those topics, uh, safe from parents, safe from teachers, safe from anybody who might judge them or punish them or, you know, have anything to say at all about what they're reading. Everybody has a right to read what they want to read without judgment from other people or somebody censoring them or telling them no. And so that we 
we hold up that end of the bargain. If you're within these four walls, we protect your privacy. While there are designated areas for teens and children, they are free to roam throughout the building and are allowed to check out anything that is available. Liz over in Adult Circulation is aware there may be pushback against giving young patrons the ability to check out any book or any movie they want. For teens, it's been one of those things where we want the young adult patrons to be able to come to the library and use the materials. Our young adult librarian is amazing with filling that collection with things that are both interesting and fun for them to read, but also informative and educational. And I think we also want you know, young adults to know that they don't have to just stay in that collection. They can go into the other parts of the library and check out anything that they're looking for. We're not here to police what people check out. You know, if someone checks out an R-reading movie, um, we're not going to tell them that they can't. Obviously, it's between them and their parent to decide if that's okay for them and if, you know, they're comfortable with that. But if a teen comes in on their own, they want to check something out, that's that's for them to do. If they have a library card, we're going to give it to them. And I think a lot of people you know, wonder why we don't police those things more. But I think for the most part, it's really not for us to choose what people check out. And that becomes a bigger problem. If we're going to do that, then what else do we police? And it just really, it's kind of an ethical thing. And it's a professional thing. But we want, you know, teens and young adults to know that they're in a safe space and that they're welcome, and that they can check out whatever they need. Or if they can't find something, we will help them with that as well. All this effort to protect people's privacy and remove judgment is tied to the larger mission of creating a place where people feel welcome and safe. There are people that come into the library that don't necessarily have a question or need to check out any materials. They don't want help with technology or have an interest in attending a program. They just want a comfortable space to be, where they can stay as long as they want. Laura has noticed a number of people over the years using the library as a safe haven. Yeah, it's hard when you see people struggling and they weren't always that way. Even, you know, on a small island, you're like, wow, they're really just, you feel like, oh, they're really down on their luck right now. So I, I think it's just like a safe place for them to come and just try to, you know, gather their thoughts and their strength to deal with whatever life's throwing to them. There was this one man who, he didn't move very well, but he was a young guy. So over the course of a few months during the winter, he opened up, um, well, the reason why I'm moving this way is I was in a motorcycle accident and I just couldn't believe it. Cause I thought, you know, he seems like he's doing fine, but he was really on a journey, even though his body is had healed, he was still really upset. And I, I still think about him. I, I don't know when he left. I don't even know his name. But he would come in not every Tuesday or every Thursday and just talk about it a little. And I don't know. I just I just feel like he just needed someone to talk to. And so that was kind of a neat thing. He he would just read the magazines. I don't think he ever even took out a book because maybe he didn't have an address or um, wasn't here for too long. He I, I feel like the building, you know, and talking to people really helped him. He was a little bit broken, but he seemed like he was doing okay last time I saw him. And that was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Anne believes protecting and expanding patron privacy is an ongoing effort. We're always looking for ways to give people even more privacy around what they check out. So whether that's a, whether that's a self-checkout machine in, in the library or whether that's what we have now, which is the, the self-check app 
that you can download on your phone. Those are worthwhile efforts because they make it easier. They make it easier for teens struggling with issues. They make it easier for adults struggling with issues who just want to maintain their privacy around what they check out. So, you know, we're always, we're always going to be looking for ways to, to make that easier. It is important because if, if being embarrassed keeps you from checking out material that could be, you know, at, at the least useful to you and at best maybe change your life, that's, it's a pretty important issue. Behind the Shelves is a production of the Nantucket Athenaeum. It was written, edited, and narrated by me, Janet Forrest. Special thanks to my colleagues featured in this episode. Katie DeHart, Pam McGrady, Ann Scott, Elizabeth Kelly, Laura Pless Friedman, Lincoln Thurber, Jim Borzilleri, Ellen Young, and Leslie Malcolm. The Nantucket Athenaeum is located at 1 India Street in Nantucket, Massachusetts. We'd love for you to come by and say hello. You can visit our website at nantucketathenaeum.org. Join me again next week when we take another look behind the shelves. Thank you.